0: Welcome to the Antlerless Podcast, hunting for everyone. Hello and welcome to the show. We are here today with Drea again, Uh, but this week we are switching up roles. We're going to be talking about my elk hunting adventure. And she's going to be more of your host today, and I'll be kind of the, uh, the guest to talk about. But we're going to talk about my elk hunting, we're going to talk about her elk hunting, some mental toughness, some uh, physical toughness, and let's go ahead and get started.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. As always, super happy to be here and excited to sort of switch things up a little bit and interview you and sort of get the lowdown on your process from this hunt. So um, starting off, like give everyone a little bit more of a background on like when you first started hunting. I I believe you've done a lot of the solo hunting in the last couple years. Um, it's been really cool to see you like last year, Chasing mountain lions in the winter time all by yourself. Um, so sort of dive into <laughs> yeah. like what got you into the solo hunting aspect because that's a huge intimidation factor for a lot of people getting out there on their own, especially um, as a woman who just wants to get out there and whether it's mountain lion, bear, grouse, elk hunting. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to start the whole solo hunting.
0: Venture. Um Well, you know, it really started back when I started mountain biking um, and really road biking, too. So I started riding bikes in about 2006. And at first, I just didn't really know anyone. I didn't have anyone to ride with. So I just kind of got used to always riding by myself. I got to know people, did some group rides, but then I started getting really serious about it. And I was kind of training to race and everything. And at that point, if you want to Have really, I guess, very specific and accurate training. A group of people to ride with isn't always the best thing. So I was always either training or um, just doing something in general that other people wouldn't really want to do. So I just ended up by myself a lot, Uh, just kind of out of necessity. So I got. Just used to doing stuff alone then. And it just transferred when I started hunting, it just kind of transferred over to that. I don't have a huge social circle and it's always kind of been that way. That's been like a lifelong theme for me. But um, yeah, like it's like you can either go out and do it by yourself or you could not do it. It's kind of always been the way it's been for me in the outdoors because I always have. Um, I'm always pretty ambitious about my adventures, and it tends to, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to go out and bushwhack for hours um, searching for animals or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's usually just me. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, the way that I've, I guess I, I've just always been used to doing stuff alone. So it was never really a question of like, I never really thought about like, should I have another person with me? Because I'm just used to being by myself.
1: Yeah, I totally get that. Because growing up, I would go behind the house. Some of my earliest, earliest memories in the woods were by myself behind the house. And I think I always felt like a sense yeah. of... yeah safety and security because I was familiar with the countryside and our cousins lived up over the hill you know so there was people kind of wandering through the woods every once in a while the boys would ride their dirt bikes and um, there wasn't very many predators so I too from for well for me for a young age has just been I'm just going to go do these things and I really like the line that you said you do it by yourself or you don't do it because I had this moment back in 2017 yeah, yeah. 2017 I believe, where Uh, I had totaled my car the previous winter, and I went all the way through the spring and the summer without a car. Because in Colorado, you could. There was such a great bus system. And September came, and I said, this is driving me crazy. Like, I don't have a vehicle to get out in the woods, and my family is not going out until the weekends. And I've got three extra days off this week, so I went to the car dealership, and I found a truck, and I bought a truck, and I was like, I'm going, you know, because it's like... I." wait around for for other people to to get out there and experience it so i totally resonate with that yeah
0: and i did yeah when i was a when i was a kid too like i was an only i'm an only child and so yeah like when i learned how to hunt as a kid i always hunted with my dad but then as i got a little older he would definitely we'd go duck hunt you know first thing in the morning and then get back to the house or you know the little like farmhouse thing where we stayed when we'd go duck hunting and I'd be you know I was like a hyperactive kid and I'm like bouncing off the walls just bored because there's no cable tv and nothing to do and he's like go squirrel hunt yeah and so I would just go wander off in the woods and Mm -hmm. you know squirrel hunt and rabbit hunt and stuff so yeah yeah I mean I guess yeah it started even younger than me bike racing and it started when my dad would be like get out of the house so I can take a nap
1: yeah exactly (laughs) go run around the woods by yourself (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your, you spent a lot of time scouting this last summer, setting trail cameras, getting out there. You found some pretty gnarly country. Um, I want to hear a little bit about sort of your tactics behind all that, like why you focused on these areas. And I mean, you found the animals there. So tell us a little bit about your your scouting tactics and... You know, you can lead that into, into your hunting season.
0: So, I uh, decided that I want to, eventually, I want to hunt uh, the unit around the Buffalo Peaks Wilderness around here, which is, it's a really cool area. So, I'm going to hunt over-the-counter for a few years while I get points, <laughs> while I gather preference points, so I can draw that unit. So, knowing it's an over-the-counter unit, um, they tend to be really, there's a lot of hunters. You know, there's... Lots and lots of people out hunting. Um, there's a lot of pressure to the animals, so I decided early in the you know early in the spring summer that I want to scout these areas. So in this unit where I'm planning to hunt, it's actually the unit where I live. Um, so it's pretty easy for me to get to these places. I like to trailheads and stuff to go scout. And um, there was several years ago, <clears throat> there was a big windstorm and it knocked kind of intermittently throughout the woods and the mountains it knocked down a bunch of trees so if you can imagine the Sangre de Cristo mountain range um, is like a long spine with ridge lines coming off like perpendicular to the spine and so there are these um, you know each ridge line kind of makes this creek drainage and those creek drainages are just that's where the elk hide because that storm with all the blowdown that knocked down a lot of trees and stuff, all of those drainages have this plug of storm damage at the bottom of them. So if you try to just hike straight up through the woods you run into this terrible, terrible stuff that you have. You're like climbing over trees, crawling under stuff. I mean, it's it's awful. It's one of the things where it would take you an hour to go half a mile. So really nasty stuff. So I kind of made it my mission to find my way around these blowdown areas and kind of know where they are so I could get up to where the elk were. And I was pretty successful in it over the summer i found you know the spot where i got my elk i scouted early in the summer before the elk were even there but i found all of this rut sign i found you know there it was there's still a little bit of snow up there but i found you know like a little pond that was kind of like a summer wallow i mean it was it was like these amazing places and there was no sign of people ever coming up there you know inevitably people leave candy bar wrappers and whatever, beer cans and, you know, fire rings and stuff like that. Um, there's none of that up there. You know, there's no basement. footprints, no nothing.
1: For for the people who are listening that don't know, like, what rut sign is, talk a little bit about that. Like, so, you said there was a pond up there. Whether, what other sort of sign did you know that, hey, the elk are using this now? They've used it in the past. So this is clearly a repetitive area that they're visiting.
0: Uh, it was mostly big rubs on trees, like rubs that I couldn't touch the top of. If I stood at the bottom of the tree, I'd reach, you know, reach my hand up and I couldn't get my finger to the spot where, you know, they basically, they'll um, kind of marking their territory, take their antlers and rub all of the bark and small branches off of trees, um, you know, kind of smaller trees. And I found so many of those. Spots that you know they they pretty much um, when they're rutting they want food they want water and they want shelter and that area just had all of those things it had shelter because you know it was there was kind of one way to get in there where you didn't get tangled up in the blowdown and it wasn't easy um, it was still really difficult physically to get in there um, but I found kind of the easiest way in um, so that was. That's something that attracts the elk to an area is that it's very difficult for humans to get there. They had a really good water source up there. There were at least two big wallow areas where they can, you know, they like to roll around in the mud like a pig pretty much. And yeah, yeah, it just, it had everything that an elk could want.
1: You know, those timber patches are insane. It always blows my mind how those animals can move through there, especially the bulls with their antlers. So quietly and oh, yeah. quickly. yeah. And then definitely. for us, it becomes this like mission impossible. I will do anything to avoid this blowdown. <laughs> and if that means walking up a, a boulder field, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, all right. Yeah. So fast forward exactly. to, to opening day, and you go right into that spot, correct? And the elk were not there. So go ahead and uh, tell I us. I
0: didn't, I actually didn't go there immediately. So kind of my. The way I've, I don't know, just kind of developed as a hunter is I'll go, that's kind of like my my honey hole, mm-hmm. um, but knowing that it is so difficult to get in and out of, I'll go to the kind of easier spots first, and um, those spots didn't work out, obviously. There were lots of other hunters. I had one encounter with a bull that was really close to the trailhead. I know people were probably like sitting at the trailhead And they could probably hear me bugling with this bull. And um, they, uh, he just, he wouldn't come in. He wouldn't leave his cows. He probably had a cow in heat. But uh, yeah, so I tried kind of the easier spots first and then went to, you know, after a few days of that, didn't work out. And so I decided I'm going to pack in a camp. I'm going to go hunt, you know, the spot that I want to hunt. And what happened was when I, I set up camp, Got up the next day. I'm like, I'm going to try and go along this ridge and try to glass into there before I, you know, just go stomping in there to go hunting. And on the way I did that, I I couldn't, didn't see anything, but the timber's pretty thick and I couldn't kind of, I couldn't see the whole area where I wanted to hunt. So I'm like, well, I'll kind of hunt my way back to camp and get up in the morning and just, just stomp my way in there and do the best I can. And on the way back to camp, I slipped and fell and kind of twisted my foot up under my butt and like hyper flexed my knee and it hurt really bad. So I had to basically the next day just pack up camp and leave. And it it was hard to get out of where I was because my knee was hurting really bad. I mean, luckily I didn't hyperextend it, which would be way worse. But, you know, it, it felt really bad and I ended up having to... Go someplace else and hunt where the terrain was just a little bit less rugged, and I had to do that for like another week while my knee started to feel better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to so when when our bodies get banged up like that, sometimes we just want to keep pushing it. Um, but it's important sometimes to yeah definitely put your body first and and uh, make that a priority.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So by then it's kind of, you know, my knee starts to feel better. By then it's the middle of the season. It's kind of mid-September and I decide I want to go camp out and do like check out another spot that was really good when I was scouting. And when I got there, elk were, they weren't there. Uh, They were just, they had been there. I just it's like I just missed them. You know, like they had been there earlier in the season. It had gotten a little bit colder and like kind of snowed a little bit by then and they were just gone, you know? Um they there was no fresh sign, no fresh prints, nothing. And I was I was really discouraged cuz I'm like, oh man, now at this other spot where I wanted to hunt before I hurt my knee, like I, I I probably missed, you know, like I probably missed my window there because it's the same elevation, um, you know, so they're probably going to be gone from there too. And so I, you know, decided, well, I'm going to go check it out anyway. I've got to at least eliminate that spot so I can go other places. And, you know, a day or two later, I basically just drove up to the trailhead um, after dinner, set up camp, uh, left early early in the morning because it was about to get into this spot it's like a three and a half or four mile hike and uh got in there right at sunrise the wind was doing stupid stuff it was just you know like the kind of prevailing wind and the thermals were already kind of fighting with each other and so i think well i'm just going to instead of getting down in the middle like in the kind of bottom of this valley, like this creek drainage, I'm going to just go along the boulder field along the side so I'm not blowing my scent around as much. I mean, it's still not optimal, but it's kind of the best I can do with the conditions. So that's what I do. I just kind of work my way up the edge of this boulder field from an elevation of, I don't know, about 9,800 feet to eventually I get up to around eleven three, or so, kind of near the top. And I'm just location bugling as I go up. I'm not getting any response, not getting any response. And I look on my map. I use Onyx. I look at satellite view when I'm kind of up at the top. And I'm like, you know, there's a wallow up there. I don't know if there's any elk up here, but I just want to go look at it. Just, it was just like curiosity, really. I'm like, I just want to go look at this spot. So I just know the area next year. Because I kind of thought, I was thinking by then, I'm like, there's, you know, this is like the other spot. The elk are gone already. Nothing's answering. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna go check this spot out just because I want to see it. And I get in a little closer and I call and I don't get a response, but I hear this, just this weird noise, just something in the the area of where this wallow is. And I, I had never, I'd never heard an elk in a wallow before. And It's just kind of this weird kind of thrashing around noise. And the thing that really got me, there was a pine squirrel. Those little black aggro squirrels that just chatter at everything. There was a pine squirrel absolutely losing his mind where this noise was coming from. So I was like, there's something big over there. There's something that's big enough to upset a squirrel (laughs) over here. And at that point, the wind wasn't great where I was. So I just... He was like, well, I want to get a little closer, but I got to deal with the wind. So I went kind of circled around the outside edge of where I'm hearing this, whatever it is. And I bugle, just do like a really kind of short, not too aggressive bugle, a little bit of raking. And sure enough, I hear, you know, something's coming through the trees and I kind of hide behind some logs and it stops and I, I look and I see antlers and I'm like, holy shit. Uh, it's, it's, it's happening like this is fucking, <laughs> this is fucking happening yeah. i'm like oh my god what do i do and i can see him like he's looking around he's not making any noise he's just kind of looking around just real calm and so i you know i don't want to move too much and so i just kind of take my raking stick and i just kind of rake it on the sticks and other stuff that's on the ground right next to me and he that he just queued in on that like he just cruised in He's like, what is making this noise? And I'm so far away from anything. I don't know if this elk had even seen a human being before, mm-hmm. honestly, because he was not he was not looking for a human. You know, a lot of times they, you know, you call and they're like, is that an elk? I don't know. Is it a human trying to sound like an elk? Because last time I heard a call like that, I started to go towards it and then I smelled something that I didn't like and I ran away. And this guy was not doing that. He was, he had no idea that there could be anything other than an elk from where I was calling from because at one point the wind blew straight at him and it it felt like forever. It was like probably two or three seconds, but it was enough. You know, I've definitely had animals wind me in less, diff, like less, I don't know, bad wind conditions than that. And it blew straight at him and I'm like, oh, I'm busted it's over. I'm busted. No response at all. He didn't even stop and like prick his ears up and look around. Like he just, it's like it never crossed his mind that there was anything other than an elk right there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he just cruised right in and he, it was pretty thick brush. Um, I had kind of one spot to stop him. And so luckily I was able to draw when he was behind some Uh, behind some trees and I just had like one I just gave him like a good little grunt just a little like kind of like a cow call grunt it wasn't a very good noise but it it worked you know Mm -hmm. and he just stopped and was looking around and I had a pretty good shot and just you know he was within 20 yards I never even ranged him he was so close that it's like I it's just use the top pin it's gonna work you know it's you're not shooting a grouse there's no there's no reason to adjust for distance like (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's okay if he's inside of 20 yards, you're going to hit him, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. and it was a perfect shot. It was, um, he ran over a little rise kind of back towards where he'd come from. And so I couldn't see it happen, but I'm pretty sure he fell down. Like I could tell as he was running away, he's kind of just wobbling a little bit. And I think he crashed right on the other side of the hill. I mean, that's where I found him. Um, mm-hmm. he didn't go very far, it was probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 yards, but I gave him. I gave him the obligatory hour since I didn't see where he fell down, and uh, I, I could have, I could have gone right after him. I mean, he he died real quick. It was a double long shot. Uh, it did kind of nick the outside of the heart, and it actually stopped. The arrow stopped on the opposite side rib cage, and as he ran, it kind of like it like touched the near side scapula on the way in. It didn't go through it, but it, there was definitely like a. I don't know, like a bloody bone spot, but kind of nicked the scapula, went through both lungs, stopped at the ribs on the other side, and then as he ran, I guess his scapula like broke the back end of the arrow off, the back maybe like four inches of it, and it turned and went back into the torso, and went through the diaphragm, and into the liver, and I actually found it when I was gutting him, I almost, I, I could have, like, actually cut myself pretty bad, because I was not expecting to find an arrow where I found it, but it was, it was a really devastating hit.
1: He expired quickly, that's how you want it to happen.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly, and I don't, I don't know if he even, like, I, I don't think he ever felt a sense of, I'm in danger, until all of a sudden he's like, ow, that hurt, and he ran I off, you know? like, yeah. that was... So that's, it, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, that's that's really, I feel like that's ideal. You know, that's what every hunter wants is an animal that is absolutely calm and not scared until like the last 15 seconds of their life, you know?
1: Yeah. So you've done all the work. You get in there.
0: But then the first
1: bowl, your very yeah. <laughs> first bowl with your bow, you're all by yourself. You're almost at 11,000 yeah. feet. What time of day is it?
0: Oh, it was it was eleven thousand four hundred feet, and uh, it's I think eleven, gosh, eleven fifteen or so.
1: What are some of the feelings that are going and, through you at this point? Uh,
0: you know, when I found him, well, rewind a little bit. I shot him. I had a really good feeling it was a good hit. So I, while I was going to wait and, you know, give him time to lay down and die, um, I kind of hiked around till I found phone service and I called Matt. I'm like, Matt, I got good news and bad news. He's like, oh God, what? (laughs) I said, I think I was like, I just shot an elk. I think it was a really good hit. He's like, okay, what's the bad news? And (laughs) this is the cool thing about where I live. I can see the drainage where I shot this bull. Every time I drive into my neighborhood, I look straight up into this mountain area. It's awesome. And there's this snow patch that's there year round that we can always see. And so I told Matt, I, he's like, What's the bad news? I was like, You know that snow patch that we can see on the way into the neighborhood? He's like, Oh no. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like I was weird. like, I'm eye level with that. I was like, I'm, <laughs> I was like, I am eye level with it. I was like, I can look across this valley and I'm level with the snow patch. And he's like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) So (laughs) I give him, I was like, don't do anything yet. You know, I got to make sure that he's dead. While I'm talking to Matt, this, I hear this noise. I'm like, oh, hold on. I hear something. And there's a, a cow elk. Runs straight at me where I am and then sees me because I'm standing in the middle of a meadow or something. I'm not trying to hide or anything. Like she runs straight at me and gets like 40 yards away and stops and looks at me like, what, what the fuck are you? and runs off. And I'm like, Oh shit. And I think that, I think at that point, I think he had gone over the hill and died and probably scared the other elk out when he crashed. Yeah. Because the timing was about right on that. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of elk elk confusion going on up there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah so i tell matt and i wait around just a little bit longer i try to kind of climb up a little higher and get where i can glass to where he ran towards but i couldn't i i never saw it so after an hour i go over the hill and find well i find a blood trail it's real good it's just bright red foamy blood and i'm like oh yeah that was that was a good hit find the back end of my arrow you know basically it took five minutes to find him and went over the hill and he's right there. I've been bear calling for like the last three days and so my voice is all crappy crappy because I just make fawn bleats without a call because it's really easy to do but yeah, that's my my voice is really bad. <laughs> um, so I find the bull. Uh, I go back and call Matt. I'm like, okay, got him. This is where it is. Uh, I definitely cried for a few minutes um, <laughs> because I was just really happy and it was you know it was amazing like you put in all of this work and you work it's just so it's so difficult and you have so much to overcome like there it's really hard to describe like you just i feel like this is the first hunt where it was more skill than luck there's always that element of luck because you're dealing with animals and animals are you know you can make a you have an idea of what they're going to do where they're going to be but there's always a little bit of luck Mm -hmm. and this is the first time that I've had this kind of success and been like this is this was a lot of skill like I found this spot because I knew the type of areas where elk want to be Mm -hmm. and I know about wind so I did the best I could do as far as setting up with the wind I know how to talk to elk so I knew how to draw this bull elk away from the cows he was with You know, like all of these things that I've just learned over the past few years just all came together. And when it just all comes together, you work really hard, you get that little dose of luck that you need. You know, it's just it's just amazing. It's just an amazing feeling.
1: There's so like what comes to my mind when I'm hearing your story is there's so much uh, intuition that once you reach that skill level, you're really going off of like this intuition of like, oh, I hear this noise over there. Oh, I've never heard that before. Sounds like a bull raking. Okay, well, I'm going to rake. And, you know, seeing his antlers coming over the rise and just using that stick next to you and being very subtle about your presence there, not being this overbearing bull raking a tree super loud, you know, that sense of like, hey, I'm going to use this boulder field to get up. I'm not going to go up through the timber. You know, I feel like a lot of, once you reach a certain skill level, sort of just like that intuitive mindset comes into play, and you really can tap into that when you're solo hunting. Versus, it's really hard to tap into that when you're hunting with someone else. And that's one thing I've realized this last season because I've I've been hunting with a lot of other people. It's just like I kind of miss that, like hunting by yourself and just being like, oh, I'm gonna do yeah, that yeah. Um, so you call Matt. Yeah, you and- don't
0: have someone that's being correct. like, well, what? Why do you want to crawl up through this boulder field? Why can't we go yeah. where it's a little easier? It's like, well. Mm-hmm. They might be in there, and you might just get busted right away. So, yeah, Yeah. so I I tell Matt, I give him vague directions of where I am. I mean, I give him GPS, he has GPS coordinates, because I have a garment in reach, which I have to say is, like, if you are going to solo hunt, having some kind of a satellite device where you can call for help if you need it is very, I think it's pretty necessary. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, so I give him, he has my location. Remember, this is, this is a spot that is incredibly difficult to navigate. I mean, I had been there before, and I had a hard time navigating it. But, you know, I give Matt very basic directions about how to get where I am. And so it's, I think, around noon-ish. And he's, you know, packs up and heads my way. But it's, I'm five miles from the trailhead. And 3,700 feet of elevation gain from the trailhead also. So, it's like, I gotta, you know, he's gonna be here before dark, but I need to get this elk broken down. Like, I gotta, you know, I I gotta start on this. He's gonna be here eventually to help, but I I gotta do most of it myself. So, he's on, the elk is on a hillside. So, gravity can work kind of for me and against me. And he's, I guess, hooves downhill. So, I know that rolling him over is gonna be difficult. So, I start by gutting him. Um, I wanted the heart... And also, like, I just needed it to be lighter. Yeah, you know, I needed the carcass to weigh less, so I had to get the guts out. And so I, uh, I gut him and get the heart, put it in a bag. Uh, then I just I start skinning him. You know, I pretty much just watched a lot of YouTube and learned how to quarter animals. You know, and I, uh, I, that was pretty much it. Like, I, I just, you know, I, I got the two quarters off of the side where I was. I got the back strap off. I cut a lot of trim meat off, um, like from the neck area and the ribs and all that. And I got it bagged up. Um, <clears throat> the one thing I couldn't do was hang the bags myself, especially the hindquarters. I couldn't, I had to have two hands to lift a hindquarter. And I couldn't, uh, maybe if I had a bigger rope, you know, like a fatter rope, I had this kind of thin paracord and, you know, if I had a really fat rope, it might have slid over the tree easier and I might have been able to do it, at least like the front quarters. So I did, it's like, I'm just going to put these off to the side in the shade and it's cold up there. So I'm not too worried about the, uh, the, carry <clears throat> my voice is really going. Um, I'm not too worried about, you know, meat spoilage. I hadn't seen any bear sign up that high. So, you know, and that's stuff that was in the back of my mind before I, Decided to shoot an elk at 11,400 feet. But um, so I get those quarters off. Now I've got to roll him over. And it was, it's hard. Like, even with two people, that's a hard thing to do. And I had to figure out, well, look, I got to take the head off. And so I have to, you know, figure out how to take the, the head off of a bull elk, which I kind of, you know, I'd seen on the internet a few times. And so I just... Yeah, I had to work on that, and I had to just basically just wrestle it off of his head, off the neck. Yeah, that was really difficult, so I get the head off. I just kind of have to do my best to get him rolled over. Like, I kind of had to tuck his feet under the... Like, kind of get the feet tucked up under the torso as best as possible, and just push and pull, and um, it just... it was It was the hardest... It took, I felt like I was going to give myself a hernia because I literally just had to go as hard as possible pushing on this carcass to roll it over. Like it just, it, it was every ounce of strength that I possibly had in my body to do this. So, you know, I got, but I got it done. You know, I, I got him rolled over got him skinned and quartered on the other side too so that was um, it was hard it was really hard I definitely you know one thing you can't worry too much about is uh, I definitely I got some dirt on the meat in some spots it was a little dirty but you know there's hundreds of pounds of meat you just wash that off and trim it you know Mm -hmm. Um, but Matt got there uh, about I don't know it was after six probably there's a thunderstorm coming Matt shows up without pants on.
1: <laughs> in his shorts, huh?
0: Uh, or without a shirt. So he was in a pair of merino wool boxers with his um, hunting boots on. Nice. And a backpack. <laughs> and what had happened was he left the parking lot. He left the trailhead and it poured down rain on him for like five minutes. Mm. And it was also like at that level, it was really hot. You know, it's two in the afternoon at 8,000 feet or something. And so it's it's really hot. And so he was hot. He was rained on. And so he's like, well, I'm going to throw my pants over my pack and hike like that. And then he got hot and, you know, more hot and, like, took his shirt off. And, <laughs> yeah, so he's shows up at this elk about 6 p.m. in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my regrets in life. I have very few regrets in life. One of my regrets in life is that I did not take a picture of Matt showing up in hunting boots and underwear with a big backpack on. (laughs) So we hung up the quarters. We get, I had deboned one of the shoulders just to make it lighter. You know, we have such a long hike out. It's like, I'm going to debone this. I'm going to take the the bag that has, you know, trimmings, the heart, the back straps, the tenderloins, all that. Um, I'm going to put that in my pack. When Matt gets here, he's going to take this deboned shoulder and we, um, you know, we loaded up our packs with that stuff. We hung the other quarters. So we've got, in the woods, we've got or at that elevation, we've got two hind quarters, a shoulder and a head. And we take the first two bags. Well, it starts to storm on us immediately, and it's getting dark. And this is like where the pack out adventure starts. And I actually, at this point, I start to have regrets. I'm like, why did I do this? And hold on, Matt's about to make noise. He's feeding the dogs. It's okay. We can have dog noises in the background. Yes, we can. Um, you know, and it starts to storm on us. It actually snows, it's thunder snow. We are in lightning. And everything, all of these trees and blowdown and boulder fields and everything is just slick. Just like, just snot slick. Mm-hmm. And we've got these heavy packs on and I'm like, dude, we, we cannot pack this out tonight. We've got to get out of here. Like this is, we, we could legitimately hurt ourselves and have to like push the SOS button. We're gonna end up spending the night out here with a broken leg. So at about 10,700 feet of elevation, we find a spot and we hang the bags that we're carrying because we just, it's just so dangerous to hike with packs that heavy. We just kind of had to make that decision. It's like, okay, it's going to be slightly warmer. There might be more animals. We don't have a good, like, a good high spot to hang this, but we just, you know, out of self preservation, we're going to have to take that risk. Mm-hmm. And so we hung the bags and we got back to the trucks at like 2 a.m. <laughs> It was um, the thing with navigating off trail in difficult kind of thick brush and blowdown is in the dark, you can't see like your headlamp doesn't give you the depth perception of like you look at a little stand of six foot tall Aspen saplings and you're like, oh, this is this is fucked. We have to like back out, find a different route Mm -hmm. where in reality, all you have to do is push through. Three trees and it's a meadow on the other side.
1: Exactly. So
0: it took a long time to get out but you know luckily we were prepared for cold weather you know we had all the cold weather gear if we had to spend a night out there we had emergency blankets you know like we were prepared for that kind of stuff and I would say if you're going to solo hunt that's a big thing is always think ahead of like what would happen if I needed to spend the night out in the, in the woods because of whatever injury or exhaustion or whatever, like, do I have enough stuff to be comfortable or to at least survive, you know? Maybe not comfortably, but just survive, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Without getting too hypothermic, without, um, you know, without injuring yourself or whatever. But yeah, we we did that. And then the pack out adventure started the next day. You know, I woke up, um, gosh, at 7 a.m. the next day. And yeah, I went to sleep at three, woke up at seven, Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I started, you know, yeah, pretty much a power nap. Um, Went up and got the first of the lower bags that we hung. No no animals had messed with it. That spot happened to just be, it was in this like really, like a really windy, shady spot. And uh, it was a great spot to hang meat. Like nothing had bothered the bag. Yeah. Um, It was cold in that spot. So... Yeah, got that one out. Um, next day went and got the next one out. And are you actually by yourself? the next one a fox or something? Yeah, you're yeah. all by yourself packing. So these I'm animals. alone doing the, the pack out. Yeah. Yep. Beast mode. And I uh, the second the second bag something chewed on it a little bit. It was something small like a fox, but yeah, you know it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. We just uh you know we we just trimmed that part off. But um yeah, and then luck. Oh gosh, my dog is knocking the camera down. It's okay. It's still working. Um, Yeah, so luckily on, so I shot the elk on a Tuesday. I made trips by myself on Wednesday, Thursday. And then a friend of mine who hunts, um, he had planned on hunting. You know, he works a lot. And he's like, sorry, I can't help you pack out. I'm going to be hunting. Well, his plans changed. And he called me Thursday night at like 9.30 at night. And he's like, hey, I'll come help you pack out. Like someone, he had a spike camp set up that was just kind of hidden in the woods. Well, someone found it and, like, trashed it. No way. And stole some of the stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So he calls me Thursday night, like, while he's hiking out from where he picked up his trash spike camp. And he's, uh, he's like, hey, I'll come help you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. What's wrong? He's like, yeah, someone fucked all my stuff up. And it looks like maybe a bear got into it, too, or something. But, yeah, so. That's a good um,
1: friend right there.
0: He helped me on Friday. We got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got uh, both the hindquarters out. And then he's like, well, I'm um, just going to
1: come help you instead, you know?
0: Yeah. That was, he's a really nice dude. Uh, So uh, we got the hindquarters out. My bag with a deboned hindquarter was 50, like just the bag of meat was 58 pounds. So that was really difficult because I'm at this point in the hunt, I'm under 130 pounds. I'm like 128 pounds because I'd just been going so hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's and the adrenaline's probably starting yes, to I'm wear carrying, out. Yes, I'm carrying with the
0: weight of. Yeah, exactly. Sleep deprived and I'm exhausted from the previous two trips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: it's it takes uh you know yeah so such a, a mental toughness. All of this, your whole story takes. You really have to just for one being above treeline and being in those boulder fields. That alone, you have it requires a certain mental toughness. Boulder fields are one of my biggest fears, and when I, when I saw you get that elk up there, I was like. I don't know if I'd be able to do that because I'd be shitting myself the whole time. I hate polar <laughs> fields. Like for you to go up there, harvest that animal, take a few days to get this animal out all on your own. It is uh, admirable, Andrea. It's Super admirable, and I think a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize like you can do these things. You know, we can, especially as women, we're fully capable of doing these things. And once you, once you start and it's like, okay, I'm going to go hunt by myself for a little bit kind of close to home. Okay, well, now I'm going to go in the backcountry and I'm going to try one night by myself. Now I'm above treeline and I'm harvesting elk up high in boulder fields. like we are all <laughs> capable of doing these things. And, like, your story is just – it gives me and the I, chills. And I, I love hearing – I just it. want
0: everyone's <laughs> – well, thank you. Um, I want everyone to know, too, about camping by yourself. I am fucking terrified of sleeping by myself out in the backcountry at night. Don't think that I am okay with that, because I'm really not. You know, I'm afraid that, a and I, I take precautions, like I should. I don't eat in my tent. I hang a bear bag far away from my tent, I'm obnoxiously far away. Like, I hate getting up in the morning and getting my bear bag, because it's so far from my tent. But, You know, I I take all the precautions, but I have this, like, phobia of there's going to be some big predator that just rips into my tent in the middle of the night and just, you know, tears me up and leaves me for dead. Um, Don't think that I am not scared to death. I just want to do the other stuff so bad that I just deal with being scared.
1: Yeah, right. It's a great way to put it. All in all, it yeah, took so, you, uh, what, you know, I mean, four, five days to get that animal off the mountain then?
0: Yeah, it was four days. Um, I had my friend Mike help me on Friday with the hindquarters, and then Matt and I went back on Saturday and packed out the last shoulder quarter and the head. And Matt was nice enough to pack the shoulder quarter and let me have the lightweight load of just the head and antlers. So, As it should that be. That was very hunter. nice of him.
1: The hunter should always carry the head. That's just of how it works
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: yeah um how much meat in total did you get again you told me the other day but for reference for the listeners how much meat you got off oh
0: i roughly gosh the shoulder quarters were and I, i we didn't weigh it like trimmed and in the freezer so, but I will say the bags with the shoulder quarters and some like neck meat were both around 45 pounds. The hind quarters were 55 and 58 pounds and the bag of like back strap and stuff was I think 35 pounds. So, you know, once it was trimmed up and everything, I know we put at least, I think we put 70 pounds of ground meat in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Oh, 80 Matt just said. Yeah, so eighty pounds of ground meat, and that was like meat cut with a little bit of beef or pork fat. But yeah, we got, we have, we've been eating so much elk, and it's awesome. It's so, so good,
1: so great. I'm drooling thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I had a, uh, I had a, a long season myself, five weeks. So we're rolling into rifle season here in Montana this next weekend. But uh, I had probably one of the hardest seasons of my life. I've got, you know, two of my clients harvested animals. It was great. But there was just this mental toughness this year. And I think it was probably due to five weeks of getting up at three in the morning. And they're long days. You're not getting to bed till (sighs) 10 o'clock. And each day I was doing my average mile days was 10 mile days. And, you know, this is something I grew up doing and this is something I've sort of, I've sort of thrived and, you know, a lot of my book talks about, you know, the mental toughness that comes with hunting and how, you know, being able to tap into that and let it fuel you and bring you confidence and heal and stuff. This year, I just had such a hard time about week. It was week going into, so first week of season, Sean and I hunted, had great opportunity, just couldn't get one down. Second week, I guided Third week I guided and everyone here at at the ranch was like, hey, are you okay to guide? Like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. And they're like, no, how are you doing? Meaning like mentally, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then
1: about three, four days, three days into that fourth week, I was so tired. My legs had the hardest time going up just like the slightest bit of incline. But it was all because like mentally I was just so worn out just so tired from lack of sleep and working so hard and when you're out there for that long your brain doesn't shut off you're like where are the elk at now what are they going to do this evening where are they bedded where are they feeding what call sequence should i use should i even call we should go here in glass constantly just trying to figure out what the elk are doing and uh i was like this is why they're asking me like
0: well you do have go ahead you do have like if you um and i've run into this um, with bike racing and with really hard training, mm-hmm. you can cause enough muscle damage, um, like in your legs, mm-hmm. that basically when your body tries to store store sugar in your muscles that you need in order to function, um, yeah. it just kind of leaks out. Yeah. And so, the only way you can actually function in that situation is to just eat sugar the entire time to keep your blood sugar up. And <laughs> And you won't even function well, but that's, like, the only thing you can do in that situation. Um, Really, you just need to rest. But, you know, if you have to get through a day and you're feeling like that, like your legs start burning at the slightest incline or pick up pace or anything, just start mainlining sugar. You know, fruit snacks, sugary drinks, whatever. Like, that's the only action you can do then besides rest.
1: Yeah, and I was crashing hard, you know, those afternoon naps. Like, we would sit down and I would, I was instantly yep. out, like, light bulb out. And yep, I, I felt so delirious every time we woke up, but just kept going. And I actually ended up, so season ended yesterday, yeah, yesterday, yeah. Uh, Sunday here. And like, I couldn't hunt the last few days. I would, we would get out there and I would just start, I would just start crying like, what am I crying about? You know, granted, I I do have some other (laughs) sort of personal things going on. But I was just like, this have been tested in a way that I haven't been tested in a really long time. Um, And in reality, it's, you know,
0: the lack of sleep is, is just complicates it.
1: Yeah, man, sleeping until seven o'clock just feels great these days, you know, like I'm
0: catching... <laughs> sorry I got you up so early for this oh, it was good
1: it was good. I need to you know I'm gonna be up again this next starting this next week we've got clients coming in so knowing where like knowing when yeah, to sort of knowing your limitations is important right and whether it's my situation or your situation where you're you're up high and it's like, oh, this storm is coming in. We need to be smart about this. Let's take the weight off our backs and let's just hike out. Knowing your limitations so like you can continue mentally to, to continue on and like physically to be able to continue on is, is really important. And it was so hard. I yeah. was just like for a whole day, I yeah, just laid sure. at home and I told Sean, I was like, it's the perfect weather out there. They're probably rotting like crazy. We should be out there. Let's go. And he's like, no, you need, you need rest. We've got five weeks of guide season <laughs> coming up you got to be ready for um and so i'm feeling good i'm feeling ready for that well but... it's
0: nice too that you have it's nice that you have the opportunity in montana your tag carries over to rifle season like that would make it i'm not saying it's easier but it's yeah. you can be a little bit less hard on yourself like i've still got a chance you yeah know, it's not over at the end of september
1: no it's not and uh and that's probably one of the why it made making that decision to just hang up the bow, you know, a few days early, a little bit easier. It's like, okay, I do have some time coming up, even though I'm going to be guiding. I do have some time coming up here where I'm very happy to whack a cow or um, even just a doe just to get the meat. Um. But, you know, the mental toughness that comes with it is it varies. And I, like I was telling you at the beginning of the this podcast, I think that holds a lot of people back from getting out there, especially um, people who haven't hunted before and they're pretty new to going out and hunting solo. Like that is more intimidating. The mental fortitude is more intimidating than actually hiking up a mountain. You can have the physical capability to get up there. But like when you've been going after a few, few days and your brain starts telling you other things like how are you going to handle that and your story is that prime example of like true like persistence and mental toughness physical toughness where it's just like scouting Finding the animals, all right. It didn't work out beginning of season, so we're going to adapt. We're going to move on to this spot. And being able to, like, make those right calls in those moments and have, like, such a beautiful success is great. I'm really happy we were able to sort of break it down today and tell yeah. everybody about your your first bull elk experience.
0: You know, I do want to say one thing, though. Like, there's this balance with toughness. I feel like right now there's a bunch of stuff on the internet. You get served. If you hunt, you get served these things like David Goggins. You're like, who's going to carry the boat? And all this stuff. Like, people who are... (laughs) (laughs) Matt just hit his head on the ceiling. (laughs) He was trying to carry the boat. Yeah. (laughs) And it kind of... And you get... So, like, when um, Mike and I, my friend, we were packing out this hindquarters and kind of having these deep conversations and he's like people are so soft now and people shouldn't feel bad about that because the thing about the people you know who's going to carry the boat and all this stuff and like me being able to do what i did and you being able to do what you did it's because we've been through some terrible shit Mm -hmm. like that's the thing like that's the thing no one wants to admit when they're talking about you everyone needs to be tougher you know people are soft and all this we need soft people And it's okay. Don't feel bad if you're like, I'm not as tough as those people. I want to be tougher. It's not pleasant getting to be like this. Like, none of us had easy stuff that made us as tough as we are. Right. And so it's okay. Like, if you're not like that, don't let David Goggins shame you into feeling like you're not tough enough. Don't let. Don't listen to this conversation and be like, "Oh, I want to be like them." No, we need soft, untraumatized people in this world. Not yes, everyone to needs to out. be running Absolutely. around with like, yeah, like don't, you know, listen to this. Let it motivate you. Let other really tough people motivate you, but don't feel bad if you're just not like that. If it's not in your personality to be the person who's going to pack out elk quarters five miles 3,700 feet uphill like just it's um, I mean it's it's a great tool to have as a hunter and a backcountry kind of explorer adventurer Um, but you do what you're comfortable with and don't feel bad if you don't feel like you're tough enough like push your limits but it's okay if your limits are you know just I don't know the state park that you haven't explored before it's okay to have small goals like that. You don't have to go out and do these huge things. Like it's okay to just take baby steps, you Absolutely. know. Yeah. If the biggest adventure you go on is, you know, just just getting a little out of your comfort zone by going to a new spot or by yourself or whatever, that's awesome. Do that. Just get a little uncomfortable. You don't have to go all out.
1: Well said, Andrea. You nailed it right on the head to finish her off. Well said, because that's so true. I feel like there's (laughs) so much pressure just from society and like the social media of like, oh my gosh, like these people are doing it. I have to try this or whatever. You're right. Do with what what you feel is right for you. Those small goals. Don't overdo it. That's when you're going to get hurt. That's when, you know, something's going to happen where you are never going to try again sort of deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do something big and stupid just because you get a wild hair, I mean, make sure you take a rain rain jacket, you know, whatever. Like, Be rain prepared hair. to go out. Yeah, if, if you want to go do something dumb, like, by all means, go do something dumb. Like, <laughs> that, but, you know, it's it's up to you, like, how uncomfortable you want to make yourself. And just don't feel bad if you don't feel like making yourself super uncomfortable.
1: Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for letting me sort of interview you and uh I, I your story is just so yeah. awesome I'm excited that we're, we've got it out there and we took the time um what a great hunt I'm looking forward to hopefully next year you and I getting to run around the mountains of Colorado somewhere yeah, I'm gonna be behind the camera and hopefully Colin and um <laughs> what I want to capture next year is I want to go to some areas where there are those boulder fields because I want to test myself and I want to sort of get that on film and and share that sort of story with people on, on face and fears and not letting those because like, I feel like sometimes for me, those are the things that hold me back or like, will detour, uh, you know, my hunt being like, Oh, I'm not crossing that I'm going up and around or I'm going to, I'm going to hit it this way.
0: <laughs> and
1: so that's a goal for me next year going into the season is facing some of those fears that like you can still do Uh those things and be safe, you know, use some trekking poles, go slow. You know, there's no reason I can't cross a boulder filled. And so I think next year you and I can, can put some magic behind the film there and face some fears at the same time. And yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: To push it just a little bit further. (laughs) So, (laughs) Well, great. The work. Well, thank you. For
0: yeah, I'm about to go bear hunt.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. That's
0: why I got. That's why I got you up so early. Yeah, go <laughs> I was look like, man, I got to get out and do. I promised myself, I yeah, I, I promised myself I wouldn't just go all out trying to bear hunt since the freezer's already full. But <laughs> Matt, Matt's signaling. He's like doubt. <laughs> like <Yeah>. he's. <laughs> yeah. Just with that bear fat uh, But right of course, right I'm like, it's the last. Oh, no. I know. I want to make oh. pemmican with it. Pemmican, what's that? Uh, you take some meat in a dehydrator, uh, like ground meat. You spread it out really thin, and you dehydrate it until it's like, like I don't know, like cardboard. Like all the moisture is gone. Mm-hmm. You shred it, and then you basically saturate it in rendered fat. Of you, you, can use beef tallow, but people use bear fat, rendered bear fat, also. Um, and it will last forever because there's no moisture in it. So you render all of the moisture out of the fat. You dry the meat out all of the way. And then you make like little meat bricks out of meat and fat. Cool. And supposedly it lasts forever. And you can add um if it won't last as long, but you can add stuff like dried fruit and honey and stuff like that to it too.
1: Backcountry meal right there. So
0: I wanna Exactly, exactly. It's like an old uh you know, like I don't know, people ate that in the settler days, the yeah. explorer days.
1: Yeah, and just so everyone knows, Andrea also is testing out some of Ridge Patrol's prototypes, which I'm super excited yes. about. They are rain bibs. There's nothing like it on the market. We're not going to give you too many details on them yet um, because they're not copyrighted. It's, unfortunately,
0: it's going to be almost 80 degrees today.
1: Yeah. yeah, not a great day to test out the bibs. It's going to be um, really... Yeah, um, but as no, she while she's out there doing all these adventures, she is going to have her hands on some of Ridge Patrol's newest prototypes. So I'm sure you all follow her page, but if not, you know keep an eye out on her on her Instagram because she'll be testing those pieces out and sort of giving everyone some feedback as to the performance of them. And I, I love it now that we yeah. Have and what's your staff.
0: just so people know what's yeah what's
1: I love that we have a pro staff. Um, what's your Instagram staff?
0: just so everyone can follow
1: mine uh rich patrol yep. rich patrol is the main one that's really the one i care about most um otherwise what okay <laughs> what's underscore your underscore wild
0: all right yeah, perfect hey well, great cool. chat, thank girl. you for joining me thank you for taking over host duties you did a great job of keeping me on track since i tend to wander <laughs> a lot <laughs> yeah I grow. thank you all for listening to this episode if you'd like to see more Just Riding Along outdoor media content, you can find us at JustWritingAlongShow.com, Just Along outdoor Media on Instagram, or you can join our Patreon at Patreon.com slash We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.